presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. Now presenting the documentary feature, American Symphony. From Academy Award nominee Matthew Heineman, both IndieWire and Variety have named it one of the best documentaries of the year. A Hollywood Reporter says American Symphony is a moving love story, a celebration of art, resilience, and the mutability of the human spirit. American Symphony is available now on Netflix. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs. Today, we're talking to Kautzer Benhania, the director of Four Daughters. Four Daughters had its world premiere at the 2023 Cannes Film Festival, where it shared the Best Documentary Prize with The Mother of All Lies. The film has gone on to screen at festivals around the world and is being released in the U.S. by Kino Lorber. It has also been shortlisted for the Oscar in two categories, as Best International Feature, representing Tunisia, and for Best Documentary Feature. Director Kauser Benhania directed her first feature film, The Blade of Tunis, in 2014, followed two years later by her documentary, Zainab Hates the Snow. Other films include Beauty and the Dogs, which screened at Cannes in 2017, and The Man Who Sold His Skin, which screened at the Venice Film Festival, where it received the award for Best Actor and was nominated for Best International Feature at the Academy Awards. Four Daughters is a hybrid doc featuring actors as well as the real people. And some of the most intense scenes, which we discuss in the pod, involve exchanges between the actors and the two youngest daughters and the mother, who, all on her own, is quite a force of nature. Because of this fascinating hybrid approach and the intensity of some of these scenes, which have a real present tense gravitas to them, we spent a good amount of time in our conversation talking about Cowther's method and influences. And I'm pretty sure this is the only pod we've done in which the director cites her Brechtian influences and name checks Antonio Gramsci. It's really fun to talk to a director who works in both the fiction and nonfiction spaces and discuss how the two influence each other. As usual, if you like this interview, please follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and do tell a friend. Also, please follow us on Instagram at TopDocsPod and on X or Twitter also at TopDocsPod. And now, my conversation with Kawasar Benhania, the director of Four Daughters. Kawasar Benhania, welcome to Top Docs. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Four Daughters is an incredible film. It's a very powerful film. And congratulations on being shortlisted in two categories. Thank you. We are very happy. The story of Olfa Hamruni's four daughters has been told before. As we see in the film, Olfa has appeared on Tunisian television and on other media outlets, including National Public Radio in this country. I was curious, as a Tunisian yourself, how has her story been portrayed and received in Tunisia generally as compared with the way a Western audience might have received that story through our own media. I mean, I can't compare because the spectrum of reaction is very wide. But at the time when she appears on TV to tell the story of her daughters, she was like very, very attacked and insulted, especially in social media, you know, by Tunisian telling her she's monstrous, her daughters 
are monstrous. Uh, they deserve what happened to them. You know, all the mean things that people can write on social media. And since she was looking for a solution for her tragedy, this reaction in Tunisia was very uh, tough on her. So when I contacted her, because I saw her in TV talking, and I told her I want to do a movie. She thought I was a journalist. She told me I'm done with journalists. I have never been insulted in my life. Can you just tell us what is it that happened with her two oldest daughters that led to her being on TV and the whole media storm that ensued? It will spoil the movie. <laughs> well, yes, folks, this is a spoiler alert, but <laughs> once you watch the film, then you can come back. Yeah, hear. exactly. The two oldest daughters joined ISIS in Libya, became a member of this terrorist organization. And one of the two daughters was married to like a lead in the organization. And second spoiler alert, the husband was killed. Their place was bombarded and the two daughters went to jail in Libya. So you mentioned what it was that kind of provoked you, if, I don't know if that's the right word, but prompted you to want to tell this story. But can you tell us more about your process for deciding how you wanted to tell the story? Because it's the how that is what makes this film so amazing. It took me many years to figure out the how. In the beginning, I wanted to understand why young girls like this are attracted by this morbid path, why they join terrorist organization. And since I didn't have an answer to this question, I decided to do this movie, to tell this story, to understand. And then I started doing like a very um, fly on the wall documentary thing in the beginning. And it wasn't good. Like I filmed in 2016, 2017. And I quickly thought that it's not what I want. It's not as strong as what I'm seeing in the story. So I decided to stop. And I went, I did my previous movie, The Man Who Sold His Skin. And then came back. And I was thinking that if I want to understand why those two girls joined a terrorist organization... I need to dig deep in their past. I have to go back to their past. And in documentary, you can't film the past because you don't have access to the past unless you use this device called reenactment, which is not really documentary and which is a cliche very used in documentary and TV. And so I was thinking that maybe I can confront this cliche hijack it and use it as I want by doing something like a Brescian theater, you know, where actors and real characters are in the scene. They can step outside of the scene, think about the scene, comment the scene, ask questions about the scene. And every scene is a memory that we bring up to life and that we question together in this introspective journey. That's really interesting because it never occurred to me that you might have even considered dramatization or recreation and that in a way you did make an end run around that through this, these sort of provocations, creating your own present tense reality that you could then film as if it were an observational film. It's a terrific strategy. I'm also curious if you saw this approach as having a potential upside for Olfa and her daughters 
in terms of having a potential healing effect, perhaps? I think that the healing effect, we started working on this early on. Because when I met them in 2016, the two young girls were following the therapy imposed by the government because of the story of their sisters. But they didn't like the therapist. And I thought that they were still young, not mature enough to be filmed. So we proposed them another therapist. And Ulfa started also a therapy. Ulfa and her daughters are natural born storytellers and they own their story. I mean, you can spend hours with them telling uh, you about their life in a very funny way, in a very interesting way. So telling their story wasn't something that is hard for them, you know, even if their story is very traumatic and have very complicated uh, traumatic moments. It was this combination between now maybe they are ready and their ability to tell their story and me judging all the time. Can we cross this line? Is it enough? Being in the doubt all the time about every ethical question. So everything was, as I told you, a very long process. In terms of those ethical lines, I was curious to know what sort of ground rules you set for yourself, for your actors, for the set itself, about how you were going to direct these scenes? Because, you know, the content of the scenes, the emotions they bring up do venture into traumatic territory for these young women and for Ulfa. For me, my main obsession was to create a safe space for everybody, and especially for Ulfa and her daughters. And we all know that shooting sets can be very violent with a lot of egos. And I wanted to get rid of all of this. So I reduced the crew to the minimum. I wanted to work with the mainly women and that we wrote like a contract between each other to say, never be judgmental. You know, all those bad feelings that can create awkward moment, not feeling comfortable. I wanted to get rid of all this and create a safe space for everybody and human link like between people behind the camera and people in front of the camera. It's interesting that you start the film with your lead actress, Hind Sabri, who says how nervous she is as she's getting made up to go into the first scene of the movie. It strikes me, you know, in terms of your casting process, you probably had to figure out with these actors that you were potentially casting in these roles, how they would feel about these somewhat unusual situations that they would be in as actors. Yeah, exactly. We talked a lot about this and Hem Sabri is one of the actors that loves to step out of her comfort zone and to experiment new things. So when I told her about this experiment, she was really excited. Yeah, she was also nervous because she knows that maybe for the first time in her life, it's also a documentary about her as an actress and her process, you know, being vulnerable, being herself. Because as I said, actors are in the movie not only to uh, reenact, they did this, but in very few moments, but they are there to ask questions and to comment and to interact. So it's them and their uh, personality also. It's also a fairly complex matrix because you've got actors playing the eldest daughters who are not available to you because they are in prison. 
But then you also have actors playing the two youngest daughters and you have the actual daughters who are in the film and who are often in scenes together. And then you have Olfa and the actors playing Olfa. And often, even shot to shot, I noticed in one scene, you're alternating the actor with the real person. As a director, how did you kind of keep control over all that or manage all those different moving parts? It wasn't easy at all <laughs> because I was like, nobody will understand anything from this movie <laughs> because of the complexity. And as you can see, to, to make things simple for the audience, I took only one actor to play all the male part. I think that this was in the editing. We understood quickly that we had to introduce who playing who. So we have this like introduction in the movie just to explain because it's something that people are not used to see this kind of meta documentary. So it was important to explain it and them to push them into the flow of the story. One area of sort of cultural translation, I think, centers around the hijab. It's almost a character on its own in the film. It certainly is addressed directly by all the characters. And it's near the beginning of the film when the actresses playing the eldest daughters first try on the hijab themselves. And Aya, who's one of the, the younger daughters, the second youngest, she gets emotional and she says about her elder sisters, they tried it on and they liked it and they kept it. How crucial is the hijab, not just as a symbol, but as a kind of portal that certain young women like Rachma and Gofrain, the elder daughters, may pass through as part of their potential embrace of Islam and jihadism? I mean, it's like any clothes. You can put on it all the meaning you want. So for one girl, it will be something about her personal spirituality and being modest. For another girl, it will be just to make uh, her parent fed up, just a tool of just to make them angry. For another girl, it's just to say, this is my identity. For another girl, it's a total shift, like in my story. It changes. It depends on the context. It also can be a source of shame and bullying, at least as we see it in this family, in that, you know, you're not wearing it, you should be, or you're, you are wearing it and you shouldn't be. And it's kind of group pressure to do one thing or another. Yeah, exactly. Because when the eldest sister wear it, they start bullying her. You look like Batman, you are ugly, you are... Uh... And then when uh, uh, all the family, the daughters wear it, they were like oppressing their mother, changing the forced dynamic between them and telling her that she should wear it. They are playing the game, the game of finally of patriarchy that played all over those centuries where patriarchy decided for women what to wear. But here we have women between them reproducing those mechanisms between them of you shouldn't, you should, you know. On the flip side, there was a really playful scene where Ulfa takes off her ajib and is just kind of goofing off with the daughters and she's blushing, it seems. And it's really quite a lovely scene, just seeing them together in a very loving way. Speaking of patriarchy, Olfa says something pretty amazing in the film at one point. She says, I became a man to protect my mother 
Then a man came into my life and he broke me. The aggressiveness and, and violence of men is, is a crucial factor, I think, in how these women's lives are constrained and shaped. How would you say Olfa's relationship to gender and violence and motherhood really shape everything in her world, including her four daughters' lives? I think that Olfa, because of the way she grew up in this very poor and violent neighborhood, she understood something in order to survive because she's in survival mode. She had to reproduce what the strong men do. So she was like embodying patriarchy in a very strong way in order to survive. So this is what she reproduced with her daughters after thinking that she will protect them, but it doesn't work because the girls, they don't want to be oppressed. So it's what Olfa calls at the end of the movie, a curse going from generation to another. And I think she's talking about this, talking about toxic patriarchy being transmitted through generation, through women also. Generational violence is, is a big theme of the film. There's a moment toward the end where Olfa articulates the fact that her behavior is the result of abusive behaviors that have been passed down in her family from one generation to the next. Where I felt the movie was sort of teetering here in a very interesting space was she obviously recognizes this pattern. She understands it, but she also seems to use it as a defense for her behavior. And what's incredible is that the actress who's playing her is the one who calls her out on that. And she says, you know, it's your younger daughters who are going to be the ones to have to break this pattern. Yeah, exactly. I think the actress, when she was talking, she wasn't talking only about the young daughter, but also about the old one and her idea. And I think mine also that the fact that the two daughters joined a terrorist organiz organization was because of this, you know, was like uh, to break the chain of violence with a bigger violence. It's like, uh, let's stop this even if we die in an unconscious, very childish way, because breaking the chain in a very conscious and constructed way is very complicated. So this is what the two young daughters can do. Yeah, I mean, we are in something like Antonio Gramsci, the Italian philosopher, once said he was talking about Europe between the two wars, but I think it can be the same thing for Tunisia and all the Arab region after the Arab Spring. He said that the old world is dying and the new world is not yet here. And in this twilight between two worlds, you have monsters, monsters appears. So I think that, yeah, those teenagers were eaten by the monsters in this twilight where there is an evolution and the new world is not yet there. The sort of the larger political context for these events is alluded to occasionally. We see some snippets of archival footage, but for our audience that may not be that familiar with modern Tunisian politics, what was going on with the regime of Ben Ali and the political and cultural landscape during these crucial years when the daughters were growing up? The movie is done so you can understand, even if you, you are not familiar with the context, 
everybody knows what is a dictatorship. This was under uh, Ben Ali. And then there was a revolution, which everybody went wild. Even in this family, the mother took a lover, the girls become God. Uh, and it's like all the country, there was like a brief something of the freedom suddenly. And then we started the democratic election. So we have the Islamist party who won the election, the conservative party. And then you started seeing all those preachers all over the streets and with what is happening in Syria. So all those years were like, we were trying to construct a democracy with all the flaws, but it was a real democracy. So it's on the process of freedom in construction, paying a heavy price sometimes. So we can have democracy, freedom of speech and all this. And me personally, I couldn't do all my movies if there was still dictatorship like the old one, the Ben Ali dictatorship. So it's fair to say that these larger political forces had a pretty big impact on this family. Yeah, the family was, there was a, a terrain and yeah, political decision impact people's life. <laughs> That's why we should not elect amateur or populist people because political decision impact people's life like in my story. It also seems like one of the things that Olfa is speaking so forcefully about when she does go to the media, which is, hey, like you should have stopped these preachers and you didn't. So you bear some responsibility for what happened to my daughters. Yeah, exactly. Because there is also the fact that Olfa feels the shame that she maybe could can be responsible for what happened to her daughters. So she is very happy to share this responsibility with this government. There's one scene in the movie that really stands out because it's, I think, the only moment when your methods are kind of confronted by someone in the movie to set the stage. You probably know which scene I'm talking about, but to set the stage, Olfa leaves her husband and, and later has an affair with a man named Wissam while he's living in Olfa's home he turns his attention to her daughters and basically preys on them. There's a scene in your movie where the actor playing with them is lying down on a cot and Aya, one of the younger daughters, is confronting him, is confronting the actor as Wissam, and she's holding up what we see to be a very sharp knife. Um, it's a very intense scene, and as the scene reaches a climax, the actor playing with them stops and asks you to cut, and then he gets up. And then he says there's something bothering him, and he wants to talk to you off camera, and off he goes. And then the movie goes on. And I'm not going to ask you, you know, what he said to you off camera, although if you want to tell us, we'd love to hear that. But my question really is about what happened when you came back in the room and what you discussed with the two daughters. Yeah, I can tell you what uh, he told me uh, exactly. Uh, you know, he's an actor. So he's hearing a very real traumatic story. And he don't know the girls, not like me. I spent with them years. So he's hearing those uh, confession, and he was panicking. He told me, I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't have the tools. I'm just an actor. 
I don't have the tools to deal with this kind of confession. Almost why you are putting me in this difficult position. And then I was thinking that I'm crossing a line or it's not good what I'm doing. So I went back and I said, like, let's finish. And Aya was there telling me, I need this scene, like in the movie. She is saying, I need this scene. Ask him to come back. Don't be afraid. I already told this story many times with the psychiatrist. I'm strong enough to deal with it. And she goes further when she tells me, okay, he's an actor. Tell him that it's just a dialogue that I learned. And I'm an actress too, if he can't handle uh, the reality. (laughs) So she was like the one, this little girl, she went through all those abuses and horrible things. And she was the one reassuring us adults and telling us, I want this scene, you should keep it. So it was like very uh, in admiration to her courage. Yeah, she really takes the power in that scene. And you can see that it's really important to her to be, quote unquote, acting in that scene with him. Another aspect of Olfa as a mother is she clearly seems to exhibit a lot of fear around women's bodies, specifically her daughter's bodies. So she therefore is constantly trying to police their bodies. And often she does it violently if she's not happy with what they're doing. And she even says at one point, I hate girls. I found the film to be a celebration of women's bodies. And I wonder if you can talk about that. I'm happy that you noticed this because I think that women's bodies are political terrain in a way. Everybody wants to possess women's body. And it's normal because it's the body you give life. So it's like a very important terrain. One of the things that attracted me the most in the beginning was the fact that it's a woman's story. And then when I met Olfa and her daughters, I thought that they are very photogenic, very beautiful. And they are like bubbly, full of life, humor also, despite all the hard life they have. So I wanted to translate and to pass all those impression and emotion I had to the audience, you know, the women's story about their body, but also their beauty, their energy. And there was a mix which was not easy to find, but for me, it was very important to touch all those levels at the same time. As we mentioned, the old, two oldest daughters are in prison, and so they were not accessible to you. However, in the film's final sequence, we do see this footage of them in a Libyan prison. They're on camera. We don't really know why they're being filmed, for what purpose, but they're there. And, and we see Gofrain with her daughter in prison. You show this footage to their two younger sisters, and it's quite emotional for both of them. Can you talk about your decision to include this footage and to show it to Aya and Tashir? I mean, I wanted to shoot them in jail in Libya. It was very complicated. We had like an authorization to shoot in jail and we need another one. And the day before traveling to Libya, they told us you are not welcome in Libya. But I had a fixer, he was waiting for us there. So I told him, since we can shoot in the jail, go and meet the girls. Because I talked with them to them on the phone, mainly, in the jail. 
uh, but I never met them. So he went and he brought me those three shots that we see in the end, the end of the movie. And for me, from early on, I knew that I'll finish the movie with the face of Gofran daughter. Uh, she's raised, raised in jail uh, because for me, she's the incarnation of the absurdity of life and how little by little through generational trauma and violence, we can end up in this crazy situation of a child who asked for nothing and is in this inconceivable situation. What did this film teach you about the bonds of sisterhood, both literal sisterhood and sisterhood as this metaphorical term as we use it for women supporting each other? I think it's my movie was... A, a sisterhood experience from all the sides. We have the real sisters, the two uh, daughters of Olfa, and then I brought to them other sisters, the actress, and while playing the sisters, they became sisters in real life till now. They are very close. And then you have all the crew. There was a lot of women in the crew. So there was a sisterhood experience beyond the movie, and I want this so we can feel it in the movie vibes. We've talked a, bit, a fair amount about Olfa, and I think maybe some of her harsher qualities, her being prone to violence with her daughters and so on, but she's very courageous and she's very loving also. Can you just talk about your assessment of really this incredible woman? Olfa is such a, she's almost a Dostoevskian character. She's full of contradiction. She's everything at the same time. And I was really afraid that she will maybe eat the movie in a way. She will not let the place for her daughters. And I wanted to show her in uh, all her contradiction and complexity. And that's why I brought an actress in front of her. Because when I write fiction, for example, and I have one of the characters becoming bigger and bigger, I split this character in two, so I can't have conflict. I told myself why I, ca I can't do this in fiction and in documentary. Because one can say, Olfa don't need an actress to play her. She's here, not like her daughters in jail. But I brought this actress so she can have this dialogue with Olfa about herself, and we can see the multi-facet of Olfa, multi-faces of Olfa, and understand her in her complexity. Well, unfortunately, I think we're out of time, but I'll just say I think it's so clear what you bring to this movie from your fiction work and training and mindset. And I just love the fact that you are working in documentary as well. You've created such a rich palette here and done so in such a creative way that feels both edgy and I would say warm. It's also a very warm film. So congratulations to you, Kauter. Thank you so much for being here. And it's a wonderful film. Thank you, Ken. Thank you very much.